Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Well, today I want to talk about how the devil has tricked everyone into being afraid of God. The oldest trick in the book, really. The fruit of eating his this, this tree of this, the knowledge of good and evil, this poisonous fruit, instantly afraid, <laughs> you know. Um, but also tricked people into thinking that God looks at them in disgust, you know. Tricked people into taking on an identity of shame, which is a complete and total lie, you know. Um, taking on an identity that was never theirs to be. Taking on this picture of God as someone who's, who's just waiting to drop the hammer on people and to pour his wrath out. You know, this bipolar deity, deity that came from that poisonous tree of the knowledge of what is good and what is evil, to see God as good and evil, as good cop and bad cop, and that's the type of person you can never let your guard down around. Yeah. I mean, not in here, of course, but have you ever had a friend that you knew at the drop of a hat, they could become someone else. If you walked on an eggshell, stepped on a crack that, that, that wasn't liked around that person, they could, become, they could go from this nice person to having a real issue real quick. You know? can't trust or be comfortable or feel safe around that. You know? And so the devil has weaved that lie even into the, theo- the majority theology of, uh, of religion, which was always the game. You know, to make, to make us feel never safe with God and afraid of Him yeah. and separate from Him and unworthy. And using one of His most powerful weapons, which is shame, to control people, to keep them in a place of disqualifying themselves from even that connection of love that He has for them. Really evil. It's an old, the oldest trick in the book. You know. And... Um, I want to just talk a couple of scriptures before we start. We'll read them in plain uh, New King James English for today. And then just, uh, just kind of toss this around before we go into the story of I really want to impart, connect to the heart of God today. Yes. And the way he feels about the shame that is used to manipulate and control his kids. I want to feel that heat because that's the real wrath of God. I want to feel the wrath of God today. And I want us all to feel it and see it for what it truly is. Yeah? yeah. Come on. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Hmm. So when we read that verse... Does it sound like the wrath of God is being reserved for humans? Or does it, sound, does it say, if we just read it word for word, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, un, and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Sounds like, to me, reading that verse is like, Not the wrath of God is reserved for unrighteous people. 
but for the unrighteousness and godlessness that poisons his people. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's not, I'm not even really asking a question. I'm just reading it really slow and simply because we can kind of see what it is. He has a real issue with those things that hold his people back from walking with him. And we see it on his cross. We see what he was, what he wasn't pouring his wrath out on was forgive them because they don't know. But the wrath was there being poured out against everything that was holding mankind back. All the shame and all the darkness that was, that was creating this false sense of separation. Yeah. It's somewhat of a different view, but it's not. It's the only view. You know? Um, you know? How about Romans, uh, let's say 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's beautiful, isn't it? Is that I'm just a sinner? That's my identity. Or is that someone saying, even when I was living in the identity of sin, when I was in that complete darkness, even then is when he died for me. Before I even turned to him, he was paying for me. He was taking care of me. I mean, it's right there. It's not really hard, depending on who you listen to, you know. But it's really not. Even while we were sinners, even before we made the choice, this wasn't a contract. Well, you do this, and then I'll do this for you. Okay, deal. Uphold your end of the deal. No, this is a covenant where he vowed himself to us even before we even were willing to look his way. (laughs) You know what I mean? While we were still in a false identity. While we were still sinners, does that mean we still are to this day? No. It's clear there. It's past tense. I like verse 18 there. Skip 10 verses. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Whoa, wait a second. Is this like just the elect chosen few that he doesn't want to hurl the fireballs at? Uh, Right? Or is it, it's really through one man, one man's offense, the judgment came to all men, to the many, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, the free gift came to all men, came to the many. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Uh Uh-oh. But hold on. So also by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Wait. Does this mean we can actually believe that the Bible says, because of that transgression in Eden, the fall, the poison, the condemnation spread through all of humanity for all time? There's nobody that was born that it didn't touch, you know? And is this writer, the Apostle Paul, actually comparing that that poisonous, um, highly contagious poison of, of, of the knowledge of good and evil, comparing it exactly to the antidote, the one whose life has also infected the many? 
Yeah. It's a different game. It's a, it's a different game than we've been taught. And Jesus shows up constantly, right? Giving the contradiction. John, like, you know, just like in the book of Genesis, God separated the light from the darkness. The light was good. You know what I'm saying? Then John starts Genesis all over again. Calls Jesus that light. In him was the light of men. It's like interesting. So that light manifested in the darkness once again, and he literally walks around painting the contrast to everyone. You know, I love it. Like something like John 10, you know what I'm saying? I'm the good shepherd. I'm coming that they will have life, an abundant life, an abundant life. The dark one, he comes, the thief, he comes to what? Steal and to kill and to destroy. He's trying to tell them like, hey, there's a divide between light and darkness and your view of who God is has taken such a, such, it's, it's become gray because you see him as both somehow and Jesus comes and brings the sword of the word of his mouth and he divides those two from each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then if we're not careful, that same poison will leak into our theology in the New Testament, the New Covenant, and we'll still see God as that way. You know what I mean? And we'll still try to argue, oh yeah, but we're sinners and we're all these different things. And it's just like, that has nothing to do with the heart of God or pure theology or anything that God is in the flesh teaching us for the three and a half years that we have him recorded talking and demonstrating. You dig? And on top of that, he manifests that light everywhere that he's at constantly. It's like, oh, well, you know, he still get awfully angry. He, he sure ripped that uh, temple apart a couple times. You know, he's, he's got that switch. You know what I mean? Don't be too comfortable around him. He's going to come get you. You know. But even that, there's so much more to be seen. Has anybody heard that argument before? Yeah, you turn your back on him, though. Good cop, bad cop. Bad cop shows up. Like, you know what? I had a friend. I won't tell you his name. Floridian. Of course, Floridian. But when the eyes went kind of like this. You see what I'm, you know, they're a little bit, some people have wide eyes. They just, they just kind of like, they open them. They're high, They're like, ah, maybe it's caffeine or I don't know what it is, Adderall, whatever. I don't know. You know, some people are like that just naturally. But I had a friend, but with the eyes opened up like that, it was like, you better duck down. You better watch, watch what's going to happen next because it's going to get lit up in there. It's going to be fiery. But we can attribute that guy. He had a switch. You feel me? But it's like, we can attribute that to God. He has a switch. Look at him. He's, he's. Murray, he, he made a whip out of some cords and came just, that ain't some Indiana Jones whip. That's like a, that's a raging wild whip, you know. But, I, but I'm going to propose if we want to watch that story like a movie, Jesus shows up and actually I'm quite sure that he did it twice. He's a double offender, to be honest. Uh, a lot of scholars, they kind of debate that. Is this a one-time thing or is this a two-time thing? To me... I really, I really think it looks like a double, a double whipper, a double whammy. Um, <laughs> thank you for enjoying that. Um, but it's just like you have the story in the beginning. He goes to a wedding party and, and creates all kind of wine for people that have already had a bunch of wine. So deal with that. Uh, then on top of that, then he shows up to the temple, not after that. And he makes his whip. And he clears the place out. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, man, who is this guy? Can you imagine being the disciples? You have a religious grid, and you're following this one around, and you know it's different. 
And then the wine thing happens and you're just like, this is amazing. And then you go to church on Sunday, Saturday, Saturday, you know, whatever. You come into the temple and it's like, what's he doing over there? Where'd he get those little leather cords? What's he, what's he, what's he braiding now? Is he making a craft to sell at the temple? Because that's what it became. And he's just sitting there just weaving, weaving them together. You know, oh, you know, he's a, yeah. They're like, man, he's weird, but I really like being around him. <laughs> yeah. But it says it comes in, in, in John 2, verse 14. He, he comes into the temple and he found those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and all the money changers uh, doing business inside of it. When he had made a whip of cords, does that sound like somebody that lost their cool? Or does that somebody calculated, sat down, and was, and was weaving something together? You know what I mean? How many people walked by him during his weaving project? You know what I mean? Like, what's he doing? Like, I don't know. Oh, cool. He's a real artisan. He's real creative, you know? You know oh, who's that guy over there? You know, that young guy, about 30 years old. What's he doing? You know, he's weaving a little thing, you know? He's just sitting there just, just making the whip. He made a whip of cords. He created it. Made it. And then he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He's like, I'm going to make something that cracks, and I'm going to get these animals out of here. Um, isn't that hilarious? Think about that. He sat there and did that. But he also poured out the changers' money and overturned their tables. He was putting them on notice. And he said those to, to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. This whole thing has become a business, and I'm not happy about it. And whose money are you extracting? People's money. And it's just like in Hebrews 10, when it talks about the sacrifices, that there's a reminder of sins year after year that he came and did away with. It's like these sacrifices and all these things that they had to purchase and buy to make themselves feel accepted by God so that they could even come around their true dad. And it sounds like their true dad, the Yahweh in the flesh, was not at all pleased about that behavior. Yeah. And there we see some wrath. But is it on men? Or is it on this ungodliness that had poisoned men? Yeah. And I'll even take it to another step. Um, if I can just flip back there for a second. That verse, the ungodliness of men, the unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's almost as if this religious machine, this system, had suppressed the truth of the acceptance and still does suppress the truth of the acceptance and grace and mercy of God because it benefits them to make the people feed the machine with its money. Yeah. It benefits them to feel like, well, we're just sinners. We're just this. We have to do this. We have to jump through the hoops. We have to da-da-da-da because it keeps them in that machine. It keeps them coming back to the buffet and it keeps taxing them making them feel guilty. Yeah. And it sounds to me that he wasn't too, too keen or hip on that. It doesn't sound like to me. I mean, that's, he just isn't. He's not cool with it. You know, he's cracking that dang whip that he was weaving over there, you know, in the corner. You know? Man. I was reading something about this. I wish I had copied a better copy of the footnote, what, what I was reading. Um, but this respected historian, Alfred Edersheim, 
had this book, and he was explaining through Josephus, which was a, a real historian from that day, and a lot of the rabbinic writings, that Anas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, high priest, was in charge of what was called the temple market. And the rabbinic writings referred to this market as the bazaars of the sons of Anas. It was a family business that the priesthood had. And even Josephus claimed that Anas, the, the son of the high priest Anas, was very rich and was guilty of despoiling by open violence the common priests of their official re revenues. It's just kind of some, something interesting to think about that this important thought of uh, maybe there was even more to the agenda of the sacrificial system of the temple and everything that they were selling um, than, than people understood. But Jesus was quite hip to it. You know. you, you, is that, did I communicate that well? They had a little more skin in the game, right? You know what I mean? Hand in the cookie jar? You know? Going into the pantry, you know, I don't know. I don't know, so. Um, but much of the priesthood was not who they said they were. It was, a, it was a machine that was a business. And he wasn't cool with that. And not only because he wasn't cool with it because it's corrupt, but it, the machine, the gasoline of the machine was, was shame. Yeah. And separation. And a constant reminder. You know not freely come, you know. It, it, it was different than what he was actually wanting to portray, what he was coming and portraying. And the Pharisees, they, they, they got really upset with him. The Jews answered him and says, what sign will you do since you, since you do these things? Like, what, what sign? Demonstrate that you have the authority to come in here and just start whipping and clearing the place out. And I love this. Destroy this temple, he says. And in three days, I'll raise it up. Jesus, through his whole ministry, he's so like gentle and kind and understanding. But imagine being one of the 12, these young guys that's hanging around with him. The wine part, the wine deal. Then he's, you know, weaving up some whips. Then he's cracking off and you're like, whoa. Then he's throwing tables around. And you guys have made this house a place of merchandise. You know what I'm saying? And it's crooked and it's evil. And he was, he was literally poking the bear, I believe, at the very beginning of his ministry, stirring the pot. These young guys with him are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. You know, this has got to be the wildest thing. Give us a sign. He said, yeah, destroy the t this temple. Three days, it's coming back. I'll build it back. And they're just like, whoa, that's, come, that, that's a real hot, confident, boom, flex. And then he ducks out. You can tell I enjoy that sort of thing. You know what I mean? But there's a different gospel. There's a pure gospel. The forgive them they don't know. Attributing, accounting, and no sin to man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Coming to redeem, and if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. It's not for the special, the chosen. It's for everybody. I've come and I've given this. this the words of Jesus in John 3, this is the condemnation that you're expecting that's going to happen when God comes and, and grabs people and throws them into hell. You know what I'm saying? This, this crazy mentality of, of that's God's heart towards you. He says, no, this is the condemnation in John 3. That the light manifests. But people love their darkness more than light, so they don't want to come to it. 
It's like, is there going to be a separation? Is there going to be a darkness? Are people going to, are people going to go into outer darkness? And, you know, is, is that a real thing? It certainly sounds like it, but it's not going to be out of his choice. It's going to be out of the free choice that he gives to them. And some people are going to love their darkness so much more, they'd rather go that way. It's hard to imagine if you really dwell and, and kind of meditate about the scripture and some of these things that he said. It's hard to imagine that could be the case if they ever truly see him. But it's like, but he said this, you know. It's not universalism and, oh, everybody just goes in, even if you're a Buddhist, and all these, all these things. Um, but, I, but there's going to be some real surprise on the people that get in on his account, just like there was the whole time he lived and walked around. The people that had the most right to be ashamed or to feel ashamed, people like prostitutes, like people that were caught in adultery. You know what I'm saying? People like Zacchaeus, who was like, what the most, one of the most corrupt people, even his own people, all hated him. And he chose him to go eat at his house. An organized criminal, you know what I'm saying? And to restore the guy. It's like Saul's persecuted Christians and he's writing this, these letters <laughs> that we're reading, you know what I mean? Saul bin Laden is, is now Paul. And you have, you have all these points that God's trying to make. And I hear the voice of the Lord is like, hey, shame is a tool, but it is not my tool and it is not how I see you. You know, like this guilt and this shame that the enemy tries to weave in through this mentality of the bipolar God and that he looks at you in disgust causes people to feel this pain and this unworthiness and this utter separation from God that he does not feel from them. And it's a lie. And if you ever want to see Jesus flex, crack whips and act a little bit wild, it's coming directly against that religious system that was causing people to feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> and then he comes. Uh, Mark 11 is another good one uh, because we were there last week, really. Mark, I think we were in Mark 10 last week about blind Bartimaeus. It's like he literally comes at the end of his ministry now and he shows up. Mark 11, 11. Jesus goes into Jerusalem and looks into the temple. When he had looked around at all things, but the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now the next day, when he had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. But when he came to it, he saw nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one ever eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. That's a strange scene again. That's like pulling through Chick-fil-A on Sunday and getting worked up that they're not open and say, you know what? You're never open ever again. I'm pulling off. <laughs> and all the time I was like, dude, it's Sunday, man. Chick-fil-A is not open today. <laughs> hey, it's got leaves, but it, that, that tree, it doesn't have any fruit on it. It's not even the season for fruit. So why are you doing that? But the fig tree is, is the emblem of the, of the religious system, the religious Jewish system. And the leaves that, that were sown, you know, to make the mankini and the, and the bathing suits for Adam and Eve. You know what I'm saying? These fig leaves. It's like all, it, it had this, this false appearance of being full and fruitful. And it's so big and it's so green. But it's like there's no real fruit on it. Yeah. And it's the religious machine. Yeah. And he doesn't like it. Yeah. I'm not a church hater, by the way. Obviously. You know what I'm saying? I'm not one of those Facebook guys. Well, the real church, da, 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 da. You know what I mean? One of those. But it's like we're looking at Jesus that has an issue with the religious system that keeps people feeling 
unworthy and uses shame to steer them and control them and portray God in a way that he's not. So Jesus says, no one's ever going to eat from you ever again. You know who I watched one time? It's probably, man, it's probably 10, 15 years ago. Anybody ever watch Perry Stone? Perry Stone? No? Okay. Yeah, a couple of people nodding, but they're embarrassed about it. Don't be embarrassed. Hey, I saw it. You know, it's not embarrassed. He's a television guy, but he does these biblical teachings all the time. You know what I'm saying? You know, I had some friends that used to really, you know, really hit the marijuana, uh, you know. And, but they weren't Christians, but they would like to watch Perry Stone. They'd watch Perry Stone stoned. That's, that's what they would do because, like, man, he just keeps he's tying all these things in together, man. <laughs> they weren't even Christians, dude. Got him, Jeff, a buddy of mine. <laughs> okay, anyways, uh, but I wasn't one of them. Uh, yeah. We'll title the podcast Perry Stone on, on you yeah, know. Uh, no, anyway, so they, but I, 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 I saw Perry Stone one night, late night television. Where he was saying this tree in the vicinity of this tree, he believed to be in the vicinity of the original tree of knowledge. And you know how he does all the things and he tries to, and it could be, maybe not, maybe is, regardless it's a spiritual emblem, but he actually, he actually fully felt like he could geographically and he does all the tours and stuff. Okay. All right. The commercial's over with for Perry Stone. So, yeah. I'm sure he's still out doing his deal. I don't know. He's probably a lot older now, but. Okay, so anyways, he cursed the fig tree. He tells it, ain't nobody going to eat from you again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. And, and again, here he goes. He began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. And he was overturning the money tables and the money changers and the seats who sold, of those who sold doves. It says he wouldn't allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. It says then he taught. So the rabbis, they would, they would get up and sit down and talk and teach you know then he taught and he said to them is it not written my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations you've made it a den of thieves you know the scribes and the chief priests heard it and they sought how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching this is very close to his end as well so he was this is a real this is some real stir in the pot he, he we know he meant to be arrested and go. He was, make, he was making sure. He was making sure he would see his own way out. You know, because he's laying his life down. No one was taking it from him. And he had the power to take it back. And that's out of his own word, out of his own mouth. Because he is the champion, the undefeated. Um, anyways, the scribes, the chief priests heard it and they saw how they destroy him. It says, evening come, and then he goes back out of the city. It says, now in the morning they saw, they saw the fig tree that had been dried up from its roots, and Peter was freaked out about it. Rabbi, look, the, the fig tree that you cursed. And he says, yeah, have faith in God. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, believes those things that he, that he says will be done. He'll have whatever he says. This is this brilliant stuff. It's not for today. But therefore I say, whatever thing you ask when you pray, believe that you've received them and you'll have them. Like, hey, there's, there's power that you can step into in centering yourself in the will and purposes of the kingdom. That you can ask those things that are according to the will of God. That as the, those, the, the authority of those who are the ambassadors on the earth. And you can allow your belief to attach to them and manifest them in this world. And so that's what he's saying there, and that's a lot, but it's uh, very cool and interesting. But the fact of the matter is, here he goes again, messing with that same, in that same thing, in that same temple. And I love that verse 11, because it, it, the first night he gets there, in verse 11 of Mark 11, and he says he literally walks into the temple and looked around at all things as the hour was late. 
It's like he was case in the joint. You know? He looked around at all things. This isn't a God with a temper. This isn't good cop, bad cop. This isn't like, well, you got the wrathful side of him today. He got really ticked off and lost his cool. If we see God that way, then that's the way we will manifest God. That's the way we will actually be. But we, when we see somebody altogether lovely, you know, with James's half-brother saying that in him there is no variance or shadow or turning. He is light. There's no darkness at all in him. You know? And when we see that, we don't see a man angry with people. A father. We see somebody that is, the wrath is being poured out against those things which bring shame, that enforce the shame. I can't imagine. If, I, if, if you know, uh, we lived somewhere and, and I was having a party at my house and maybe the girls were gone at college and they came home for the weekend to come at the birthday and somebody was at the front door and they stopped them on their way and like, wait a second, what are you wearing? You don't have the dress code. Are your shorts fingertip length? You know what I'm saying? Do you have, what do you, girl, you, what do you have on you? Know? And like they sized up one of my girls and told them they couldn't come inside. Like, oh, you look, you look like you've been in the world and ugh. All right, well, we'll go around the corner and take a shower on the outdoor shower, and then you can come into the house. If I heard that was happening, it's not going to be, you know, it's going to get pretty, pretty hot. You know what I mean? Any parent. And this is what Jesus is demonstrating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not okay with it. Not okay with the shame. Not okay with separation. Not okay with all these things which were actually symbols of him and what he fully came to do had been interpreted through the knowledge of good and evil and poisoned and caused the people themselves to feel ashamed. Like, I wouldn't even look at you because you're so dirty. But since you cut that dove in half and walked through it, come on in. You know what I mean? He's not like this at all. He has a completely different crowd around him. And it's very deliberate. He doesn't deal in shame. There is no condemnation in Jesus. Amen. There's none. Amen. Romans 8 1 says. Amen. It's like even when you miss the mark and you know it and you feel it in your heart, when you recognize it, repentance means literally to turn from it. When you recognize it, take ownership of it, say, hey, that's not me because it's not you, and walk the other direction. Hey, there's no condemnation. It's like, hey, I've I'm learning something. I'm growing in some way. I'm moving towards you instead. It's this relational connection. There's no condemnation in it. There's no disqualification in it. And shame is the darkest form of that. Because it goes from thinking that, oh, I made a mistake or I did something wrong to like, I am something that's wrong. I'm inwardly, I'm an evil person. I'm dark. I'm unlovable. I'm unacceptable. Shame is evil. Oh, well, I'm just a sinner saved by... You know what I'm saying? It, it drives people into very dark places. Causes them to isolate themselves. You know, it's very demonic. There's spirits that are attached to it. They use it. They want to take people off the earth. They want people to take themselves off the earth. And that's how they do it. They make them feel so, so evil and dark to themselves. And they usher them into something very dark. And then that releases something dark on the earth when they fall through. You know what I'm talking about. Like that's, that's the way this thing goes, man. That is their game. But it's not real. It's not you. And you're not alone. Yeah. 
there are so many more with you than against you. That voice is a lie, you know? Even if you're listening to this, it's like, hey, it is a ploy of the enemy. And God doesn't like it. Shame. It is a tool that he uses. And um, if we ever catch a glimpse of the love and acceptance of God, it, can sh- it shatters it. But that darkness will, will isolate people to the point where they feel like it is so much more real and they are so much more flawed and it's just not even real, you know? And um, the whole cloud is with you. You know what I mean? It's like there's so many with you in the kingdom, you know? It's like lay, lay aside every sin and the weight that so easily ensnares and understand that there is a cloud of witnesses that surrounds us at all times. That is for you, you know, your actual family, your real family, your true heavenly family. And it is more real than anything on this earth. And God would have us to see this. And I think God would have us to see that his heart uh, literally coming out of this shame paradigm and this gross condemnation paradigm of, of seeing him as a way that he's not, which causes us to see ourselves as disqualified and always working to get in our, our own dad's house. And that's Maggie's farm. It's not real. You know, it's, it's not the way of the Lord. You know, it's the prodigal story. It's every story. It's everything that he did and demonstrated. The full and complete and total acceptance of God. The spirit of adoption is the spirit of complete and total acceptance. That's what it actually is. It's a welcome home and no one's done anything or is anything that disqualifies himself from that welcome mat. It's wide open, you know. Um, Therefore, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let's lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance. This, this Hebrews 12 mentality of just being like heaven is around, your family is around, your people is around, you're never truly alone. And the reality is the enemy will cause people to feel so isolated. But if you catch a glimpse of the heart of God's, God's energy towards that lie, just braiding up some whips, you know, cracking those things, yeah. flipping tables. It's like if we can, if, I think the key to unlocking that cage, that prison of this condemnation, this shame, seeing it as our identity, is actually seeing how our dad really feels about it and knowing that he wants it removed from your psyche, yeah. from your mind, from your heart. And um, learning that, just like Jesus said, my sheep follow me. They know my voice. But also, there are strangers' voices. And he says this, a stranger's voice they won't follow. You know what I mean? That means, well, what was that, schizophrenia? We're hearing voices now. It's like, no, this is the words of Jesus. The The whole thing was about connection the whole time. It's about two trees that warred since Eden. Life and, not, and good and evil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good and evil is the poisonous one. It's the dark one. It's his tree. It's the serpent's tree. And life is Jesus himself. It's our true family tree. It's our true lineage. Amen. You know? But the fruit of that tree is life. It's constant life. It's abundant life. And we're actually called to know him and know his voice and actually follow him in all things. Yeah. Hey, depression, darkness, all these things. The way out of this rut is the voice. It's knowing him. It's actually learning how to get to a place if you can fight for it, 
contend for the peace of clearing your mind enough to listen to him and connect to him and actually follow through on what he speaks to you or tells you or gives you to do. Or maybe just speaks into you. Believe in what he says. It shatters this thing. And I know that he wants it shattered. You know what I mean? I know that he wants it shattered. He wants disqualification shattered off his people. He came and demonstrated that real, real hot and heavy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, you know, he does lose his mind a little bit in the old temples. Like, yeah, well, guess what that is? That's not bipolar. Dude, dude literally walked into the temple the night before, encased the joint like a premeditated crime. Sat there and looked around at all things is what it says in Mark 11, 11. Then came back the next day. Didn't have a whip that time, but he just looked around. He's like, I'm going to flip that. I'm going to flip that. If they bring them oxen back, I'm going to whip. I'm going to get them things out. So she, oh, those doves, y'all are all gone tomorrow. Don't worry, buddies. You'll be free to fly tomorrow. You know what I mean? I don't know what he was thinking, but he was just like, he was casing like he was drawing his game plan. And then he sits down and he says, my house is supposed to be a house of connection, of prayer, which is connection. It's not Santa Claus. It's a place of connection. And all you do is enforce this disconnection, which is a lie. Oh, and by the way, it's for all nations. It's not Jewish connection. He's a Jewish guy. You know, we love Jewish people just like everybody else. But it's like, hey, this isn't a, a house of prayer for, this is for all nations. Hey, this whole thing's being re- overhauled. Amen. And the disciples are leaving that next day and they're like, man, look at the buildings. He's like, there's not a stone that's going to be left on top of another stone. <laughs> like, don't be impressed by this. The kingdom is coming now. And we are this. We, we're the agents of this reality. It's a family business. You know? And if a person has eyes and ears and skin, they're your family. You know? And we are called in this covenant, just like Moses said, you know, 2 Corinthians 3, to step into more glory than Moses did when his face would glow. Meaning that we have this opportunity, this prayer, this connection to live in such a way that we are contagious with our relational connection to God. And we are the salt of this earth and the light of this earth because of that. We can police people with shame. Like, you're a sinner, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing that. But the police that we're called to be is to police everything that's not in heaven should not be in earth. To bind that which is there to be bound here, to loose that which is there to be loosed here. We're not talking about sin. We're not those police. It's those things that hold our people back. You know, oh, you're going to go to hell, boy. You, you're listening to, you're doing that. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Hell is not for you. It's not for people. So we talk with our girls all the time. Hell's for cancers. It's for tumors. You know what I mean? It's for diabetes. It's for autoimmune diseases. It's, it's, for, it's not for people. It is the trash heap. Yeah. And someone has to step into the family business on a wide scale. Because, man, the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against a group of people like that. They're not meant to. Amen. All righty. I just said amen to my own self. Getting more religious as time goes on. Gosh. Golly. Watch Perry Stone. Next thing you know, you're up here amening yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, and Perry Stone might be great. I don't know. I mean, yeah, he might be right about that. Golly, see what I get myself into? 
Well, Lord, I thank you for your complete and total acceptance of everyone here and your love for all of us. And this grace that you've given us, which isn't just a license to sin or live how we want, but it is this, this, this freedom that we have purchased by you and this wonderful ability to turn, to turn to you in any way that we find that we're not falling in the right direction. And that your forgiveness flows like the river of life itself. And that you've purchased us all and you value us all so very much. And that the the purpose and destiny of every single person is so immense. Every single person is your absolute favorite human being. And you've picked the absolute best plan for each one of them, me included. And it's real. I ask that we connect to this truth and this, the, the heart of who you truly are. That you are for us and not against us. That you bent over backwards, were beaten, mocked, whipped, all these things in order to give us our inheritance. That, that, that was the violence and the wrath that you were able to literally take upon yourself to separate light from darkness from your family. And so I ask that even the hope and the inspiration of your spirit would be in us all. We would be led of the hope of your voice in all things. To walk this life as these agents of truth and light. A people whose, maybe our faces don't literally glow, but we step into this connection of knowing you in such a profound way that it causes life an abundant life to flow in us and through us and around us. And also that we would be contagious with that life, the energy of heaven, the light of heaven, everywhere we go. Amen.